Well, good morning. Welcome to First EC. Glad to see all the shining face, smiling faces, shining faces. Um, if you're a visitor here, we welcome you. Thank you for, for being with us. We have some cards on the back table that if you could fill out just names, some contact information, drop it in the, in the offering plate there or just hand it to me directly. I'm going to be at the doors greeting everybody on their way out. So um, good to have all of you here this morning. Good to have all of you on Zoom here this morning. Um, I do have a couple of announcements. That's why my hands are loaded here with, with all sorts of papers. First of all, if you remember, the denomination's been looking for an administrative assistant down at the office. They still don't have one yet, so they asked me to mention that again. I have a copy of the job description. If you'd like to look it over, maybe you're thinking that you'd, you'd uh, kind of like to do it, but you're not sure. I have a job description. Talk to me about it. We'll take a look at it and see if it's something that you might be uh, able to help out with. Also want to let you know that back in the back, there's a basket for the poinsettia envelopes. If you're interested in um, buying a poinsettia to have in the, in the church over the Christmas season, over the Advent season, um, you can fill one of those out and give it to Sharon, or do we put it back in the basket? No, don't put it back in the basket. That was a bad idea. <laughs> okay, either give it to Sharon or put it in Sharon's mailbox. So, um, And then also... We have the, the LCCM banquet coming up this week. It's on Thursday, and we still have two more tickets available. They are free um, if you'd like them, but first come, first serve, because it's happening this Thursday. So see Jean. Um, it can be a couple or it can be two individuals. It doesn't matter. She's got two tickets. would like to share them so that we can all um, enjoy having two full tables down there for the, for the banquet on Thursday. So see Jean if you're interested. Any other, any other things that I should mention? I know you, you saw the announcements up there. Yes. Today's the last day for the two boxes. If you need your card, send me a page. Okay, today is the last day for receiving those shoe boxes. But if for some reason you need a little bit more time, talk to Gloria, see if she can work something out with you. Um, thank you very much for all those who did fill out the the boxes and, and, and brought some back. We're glad to be a part of that part of that ministry. Are there any other? Yes, Donna. Um, thank you for everyone that gave goodies for the clothing drive. Um, there's containers in the kitchen. Some what? Some oh containers. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So Donna has thanked everyone. In case if you couldn't hear. Um, Thanked everyone for the help that they provided, and there's a few containers in the in the kitchen for the stuff for the desserts, the cookies, and so forth that were provided for the the giveaway. Any any other any other announcements? This is good. We're active, right? We got things to talk about. So, okay. Well, let's let's prepare our hearts for worship then. Oh, before I before I go any farther. Um, before we actually get started with the worship of the Lord, I did want to recognize, of course, that this was, we did have, did have Veterans Day um, this past week. Just as a quick um, recognition, if anyone here is a, is a veteran of the, of the armed services, would you stand up, please? We just want to, just want to say thank you. All right, thank you for your service, and I know that there was a booklet that was created, that something that started last year and has, has been completed now, so thank you. 
I do that because I do want to recognize you, but at the same time now, I want to prepare. We are here now to praise, praise the Lord. So as we go forward, let's, let's pray as we uh, get ready to, to worship our, our risen Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. It's beautiful in so many ways. There's so many beautiful people here this morning. The weather is so beautiful. And it's just a beautiful day because you've here, Lord, to, to praise your name. We're here because we want, to, we want to praise you, not because someone has, has brought us here or because it's Sunday and it's what we're supposed to do. Father, I pray that everyone here, their heart is just exploding. They just want to, want to show you just how much we love you and, 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 and praise you for everything that you've done for us. Father, I pray that everything that we do here this morning would be to your honor and to your glory. And I pray, amen. For our call to worship, I've chosen Psalm 103 because I know what song we're gonna sing first with a, from the praise band. Psalm 103 tells us, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. And he starts to list some benefits. He forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with love, and satisfies our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This psalm was used by Matt Redman to create this first song that we're going to sing, 10,000 Reasons. He says that there's several things listed here, but there's so many more things for us to to think about. He says, if you wake up one morning and you can't think of a reason to bring God some kind of offering of thanks or praise, then you can be sure there's something wrong at your end of the pipeline and not his. We live beneath an unceasing flow of goodness, kindness, greatness, and holiness. And every day we're given reason after reason why Jesus is so completely and utterly worthy of our highest and best devotion. I invite you to stand as we sing about all those reasons we should praise him. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I'll worship your holy name The sun comes up It's a
time has come Still my soul will see your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Forevermore Bless the switch here. We believe in the whole 
take a minute to greet each other like we've been doing the last couple weeks now that you sat down sorry about that Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh oh. All right, well, we're going to take the time now to lift up some prayer requests, lift up praises. Do we have a praise we could share to get started here? Anybody have something they can praise the Lord for this week? We just said we had 10,000 reasons. Okay, yes, go ahead. You say it, I'll repeat it real quick. Away. Okay, she was. You don't have to repeat it. We're praising the Lord that he that he had a successful ministry here. We had quite a few people come in for clothing. We had plenty of clothing to give away. So thank thank the Lord. He he provided abundantly for us so that we could provide abundantly for them. And he brought an abundant number of people in that took abundant bags of 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 clothes back home with them. So thank you, Donna. I'm just going to mirror Sharon. People touched us as deeply as we gave, and that is just a blessing. That it's a two-way street. They blessed us, and we tried to bless them. So, Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Part of, the, part of the success of the ministry was the fact that we had a chance to sit and chat. There were, there were opportunities to sit and chat with the people, and they shared some, some very good stories with us, and we got to know the people around us a little better. Um, a praise for um, God's safe travel. We had a couple folks drive from Illinois with a van full of stuff for his mom. They got here okay despite the weather on Friday, and they were able to continue their journey and get back home. And prayers for our neighbor, Mike. He's been having a lot of trouble with one of his knees, um, so he could use some healing prayers. Okay. Thank you. I had a great week with my aunt. 
But prayers for me, my feet and legs were swollen up like crazy. I could hardly get my shoes on this morning. Okay. Too much dancing. So, <laughs> I heard. Any other, any other praises or prayer requests? Oh, we got a mic coming. There we go. All right. Hi, so I just oh, so I just wanted to um, thank everybody for being so welcoming, and I thank God for just directing us here. And uh, I just I feel the spirit, and that's just a wonderful thing when you walk in and you just feel it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and Ron over here, because he knows you're wearing your boot, and he. <laughs> I, my granddaughter that you see we bring here, she has pneumonia, so I appreciate you pray for her. Okay. Any other prayer requests? Okay, well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come to you, we say thank you. We thank you for this gift of a new day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together to praise you and now to humbly lift up some, um, some requests, some things that are dear to our hearts, some things that are troubling us. Father, I thank you, first of all, for, for all the things that you brought to mind, all these praises, all the ways that, that you have been Watching over us, we, we recognize that we, we could list 10,000 a day. Um, that somehow, when, when I put everybody on the spot, our mind goes blank. We, we know how that works. And I, just, I know that everybody could give us a list, and so I thank you, Lord. We thank you for, for healing that has happened, and we pray for healing for some of these that, that have been mentioned. We do pray for, for Emma with her pneumonia. We pray for, for Joyce and her, her swollen feet. And we pray for, for Mike and his knees. Father, there are probably so many other things. I pray for the, the silent requests as well. Father, we know that you can heal. We know that you have provided the, the, the wisdom for doctors and nurses and specialists to be able to provide that healing. We also know that you can heal just by your own direct touch. So, Father, we just pray that you will consider these three that were mentioned, consider all those that are being quietly mentioned. And, Father, we do thank you for all the ways that you take care of us. Father, we know that everything that we have comes from you. And so, Father, we do pray that the offering that we take today would be accepted by you, would be blessed by you, and that you would use it to further your kingdom, Lord, and to further your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand again as we sing our next hymn, hymn number 380. <laughs>
seat, please. Well, this morning we finish up our series called It's Not Easy Being a Church. And hopefully by now you can see why, why we picked that title. John's letting them know that um, there's lots of trouble that come along with, with being a church. So today we finish up the book of 1 John, and we're going to be reading from chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. And what we're going to have here is the conclusion of the letter. It's a summary of the whole letter. It's his final thoughts about what we know. You're going to hear him talk about what we know. And John ends his letter by going back and reinforcing everything that he's already said throughout all the previous chapters. And the things that he's most interested in, again, are assurance and definition. Remember, he's had a problem with his church. There are people who are disputing his authority. They're leaving the church. They're trying to convince those people who remain that he's all wrong. And of course, by disputing his authority as the leader of the church, they're also disputing that he's been called to be the leader of the church. And in this struggle, he's staked out some very clear boundaries He's provided clear definitions of those who understand the truth about Christ and those who are lying about it. Those who understand the truth about Christ, he says, have life, and those who are lying about Christ have death. And John's also been working real hard to shore up the confidence of his followers. And in today's text, we're going to see that John repeats over and over that he's written this letter so that his followers would know with complete certainty the truth of their convictions. So with this letter coming to an end, he wants them to be assured and to be confident in their faith. If you remember, John said he wrote his gospel, quote, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So his gospel was written to bring people to faith. But this letter, 1 John, is written for people who already believe. And since they're already believers, they need to know without any shadow of a doubt that they possess eternal life. So we'll start by reading verses 13 through 15. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. John wants to strengthen the resolve of his followers. He wants to reassure them of their place with God, and he wants to reassure them of the promises that are going to be given to anybody who holds fast to their faith. John's saying he's written this letter so that you have every reason to be sure that you possess eternal life. God has given us life, and that's good. There's a Christian rock group named Stellar Cart that had a song a few years back that was called Life is Good, but their real message was in the chorus. It was a simple seven words, 
Life is good. Eternal life is better. God hasn't just given us the gift of life each day. He's given us the gift of eternal life with him, and it's a gift that we can have right now. It's a gift that we do have right now. The present tense of this word life makes it an ongoing action. So you could actually think of it as eternal living. It implies the enduring, reassuring effects of knowing our eternal destiny if we hold fast to our faith. Eternal life or eternal living is not just a promise for the future. It's an inheritance enjoyed right now in the present. It's enjoying fellowship with God right now. And he tells us that one of the results of this knowledge is then confidence or boldness when we approach God through prayer. There's a story of a farming community that was suffering through a long period of drought. Of course, they needed rain for their crops, but especially for that town because that town depended on the crops that were grown in the the farms around them. And it had reached a, a crisis problem. These All the corn was curling up, all the other crops were starting to to shrivel, and so they were reaching a point where they needed to do something, and the local pastor then called for a special prayer service. He would have all the people come into his church, and they they would pray for rain, and so they set a date, and when that date came, everybody came to the church, they all piled in, they all filled the church, and when the people arrived, the pastor walked to the front of the church to officially begin the service, and he started looking around at the people, and he saw people talking amongst themselves, the worried faces, concerned faces, people talking across the aisles, there were faces of desperation, and he just kept gazing through the, through the, the uh, congregation until his gaze stopped at a little 11-year-old sitting in the front pew of the church. And her face was beaming with excitement. And there, right beside her, poised and ready for action, was a bright red umbrella. And the pastor just smiled at the beauty and the innocence, but also the faith and the confidence of that girl. She was the only one who showed up at the prayer meeting with an umbrella. How faithful and how confident are we when we pray? Earlier in this letter, John raised the subject of prayer and confidence. He said that the successful prayer has to be joined to a life that glorifies God, a life that conforms to God's desires, one that results in pleasing him. Well, now John adds that prayer also has to be in line with God's will. We can't pray for my will to be done We shouldn't try to bring God's will down to us. We need to lift our will up to his. Of course, Jesus was the the best example of this, and John records quite a few examples in his gospel. We know that Jesus will always do the Father's work. He says, someone was talking to him about some food, and, and he gave this cryptic answer, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And when they kind of frowned and wanted to know where this food was. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And we also know that Jesus always spoke what the Father, always did the Father's works, excuse me. Jesus always did 
the Father's works. He says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. And then also, that Jesus always spoke what the Father wanted him to say. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. John points out the oneness between Christ and the, the Son and the Father. He talks about the oneness of wills there. And so then he believes that a through a oneness between the believer and Christ, that that same profound intimacy will result. And that'll make prayer a genuine unity of wills. Also, in the Gospel of John, Jesus had said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Remaining in the Spirit is the key to unlocking the power of prayer, remembering that unity of wills part. Asking for a new car isn't going to make it happen unless it's God's will as well. We read on in verses 16 and 17 then. It says, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. This sounds confusing, but it also sounds like a, a brand new subject, but it, but it really isn't. He's saying Christians who are alert to God's will should be confident about the success of their prayers. And Christians also know the seriousness of sin and how it affects our spiritual lives. And more than that, Christians need to know the power of prayer for another person, particularly for a person who has committed a sin. We recognize the power of prayer, and that's why some of us even bother to get together on Wednesday evenings. There's a small group of us. There's only about five or six right now, but I have a feeling it's going to grow. But we get together on Wednesday evenings and we pray. We pray for all of you. We pray for all of them. We pray for all of them. You know, we just, we pray. We pray for everyone. But we pray for things like healing and comfort, patience, etc., those types of things. But we aren't in the habit of praying for the sins of a brother or sister in the congregation. Wouldn't that make you uncomfortable? That would get you here on Wednesday night, wouldn't it? Dang, I better get to prayer meeting to see if anybody's, anybody knows about my sin, Right? I'm, I'm kind of making light of it, but I do believe that it's an unfortunate loss in our denomination. You know, there was a time in the EC church where they had something called class leaders. And I know you had class leaders when I was here 10 years ago, but basically the only thing the class leaders did was kind of take turns leading the prayer meetings. Back in the day, class leaders had something much, much more important as a responsibility. These Class leaders were very mature Christians. Now, obviously, they weren't perfect. We know nobody's, nobody's perfect, but they were very mature Christians. 
And they would have a portion of the congregation assigned to them. They might divide the congregation among five, five or six different class leaders. And then those class leaders would have a meeting once a week with the members of their class, those people that were assigned to them. And the individuals in the class would be asked about their time with God during the week. Have you spent time in prayer with God? Have you spent time in, this word, in his word? How much time have you spent in his word? Have you had any struggles this week in your spiritual life? And unfortunately, in today's society, we call that being nosy. But they saw it as caring for their brother or sister. And of course, the other benefit of getting together as a group like that was that those people in the group then knew specifically what to pray for, how to pray for that person who was struggling with temptation. Today, we like to keep our temptations and our sins a secret. The, the best we do when we, quote, open up is to say, would you please pray for me? I'm, I'm struggling. And that's as far as we'll go. Anyway, it's very possible that John has been leading up to this idea of praying for brothers and sisters all along through the letter. Because in the letter, he's drawn out very clear boundaries between true believers and the ones who left the church. Ones who believe in true Christian faith and ones who are following heresy. And he's emphasized for his church the importance of righteousness and the consequences of sin. He points out that Christians acknowledge their sin, but they don't persist in sinful habits. On the other hand, unbelievers sin consistently and often refuse to admit it, just continuing to live in sin. And so for many of those type of people today, sin is an old-fashioned word that they don't want to use. They no longer see themselves as sinning. It's, it's a choice of lifestyle. John has in mind a situation in which one believer sees another believer committing a sin. And John tells us that when we see this situation, we're supposed to pray for that person, and God will respond by giving him or her life. The real problem in this verse is that John says this prayer should be for those whose sin does not lead to death. He makes it clear that this is the only type of sin that he's talking about here. He's not saying that you should or shouldn't pray about sins that do lead to death. He's not dealing with that at all. He's just talking about a sin that does not lead to death. That's fine, and I'm sure the questions in your mind are, but what is a sin that doesn't lead to death? To death, And for that matter, what is a sin that does lead to death? And I think we need to look at the Old Testament distinction for, those, for the answer to those questions. How the Old Testament has a distinction between intentional and unintentional sins. God had laid out quite a few things at the beginning about people who would sin. And, and he starts off in Leviticus talking about when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, and then he says what, what they should do. If the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, and again, a set of instructions. When a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, another set of instructions. If any member of the community sins unintentionally. You see this word unintentionally over and over again, and even in numbers. But if just one person sins unintentionally, and they talk about what to do. There was an opportunity for a sacrifice. It was called a guilt offering when they realized that they had sinned and it was not something that was done 
intentionally. So there was provision for that. But when someone sinned intentionally and willfully, the sinner was cut off from the group. It says, but anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. There was a need for purity there. You should pray for a brother or sister who commits an unintentional sin, especially since they might not even realize that they have committed the sin. But there's no point in praying for a brother or sister who knows what they're doing is wrong. They're doing it anyway. They're intentionally sinning. It's a, it's a concept that's very helpful to me when I run into temptation. And it's something that I use when I'm trying to counsel someone who claims to be struggling with a sin. The idea that if you're about to do something that you know is wrong, no matter how good it makes you feel or how good it sounds, it's like telling God, I know you don't approve, but I don't care. And I know that's probably something that we either have said to our parents or we've heard as parents. And you might get away with that with your, your earthly parents, but can you imagine telling God, I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you like it or not. That's intentionally sinning. And I like the way Numbers describes it. Anyone who sins defiantly, that's being defiant. And it says that's sinning defiantly. It's blaspheming the Lord. Back to John's letter here. He finishes his letter with three bold statements about Christian certainty. Verses 18, 19, and 20 all start with the same phrase. They start with, we know. And in each case, the verses repeat themes that have been dear to John's heart from the very first chapter. His first statement addresses the ongoing righteousness of God's children. That's sanctification. The second talks about the own, the, the, um the fallen state of the world, excuse me, we'll call that disintegration. And the third gives the hope that is in Christ as we live in this world. That's redemption. So sanctification, disintegration, and redemption, those are the final thoughts that John addresses with his readers. So as we read verse 18, we hear, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. John makes this general statement about Christians. He says they do not continue to sin. Now, it doesn't say that Christians don't sin. We know better than that. We sin every day, many times a day, through sins of commission, things that we do, and, things of, and sins of omission, things that we, that we don't do that we should but John's talking about ongoing activity. He's saying that Christians don't make a habit of sinning. Christians don't live in sin. And that's what negates the argument that you get from, from the homosexual or the adulterer or the gossiper when they say that their sin is no different than my sin. It's true that their sin is no, no worse than, than any sin I commit, but the difference is in how we deal with the sin for those I mentioned, they don't admit the sin. They try to justify the sin. They just keep doing it. That's living in sin. But for the Christian, it's different. When we commit a sin or when we recognize a sin of omission, there is repentance. 
true remorse for that sinful act or that sinful omission, and a sincere desire to never let it happen again. All people who are genuine Christians have been born of God, and Christ himself protects them from the evil one. Christians will not engage in sustained, willful rejection of the authority of God. And John's reassuring his followers that the Christian's struggle in the world is not one that they're fighting by themselves. The quest for righteousness is supported and sustained by Jesus himself. And so in verse 19, he says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We need the protection of Jesus because the world is under the control of Satan. And notice that he doesn't say the world is under siege by Satan. That's not true at all, because the world barely even struggles against him. Satan doesn't have to lay siege. He doesn't even have to break a sweat. As one commentary puts it, the world rests in Satan's arms. There's no struggle. The world is very comfortable in Satan's arms, and he is very content to hold it there. And so once again, John's drawing sharp boundaries between church and world, light and darkness, God and the evil one. Christians live in the camp that's fighting against Satan. But we're not worried. We're sure of our safety because Jesus lives in that same camp with us. The world has become used to Satan's deceitfully comforting arms, but Christians cannot be held by him. Verse 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so John's third bold statement here is one that clearly defines our hope. Since the world's falling apart and since so many people are aligning themselves with the forces of evil, what hope is there for Christians in the world? Well, John reminds us that Jesus Christ has infiltrated the world. He's sabotaging and undermining the ways of the world. He's doing this by bringing knowledge and understanding to each of us John says, so that we know him. Now this knowledge is not the same kind of knowledge that the Gnostics claimed to possess. Remember that enlightenment that they claimed to get through knowledge, simply knowledge, was exactly what John was arguing against in this whole letter. Christian knowledge is focused on genuine reality, things that actually happened in history. So in verse 20, John doesn't say that Christians know the concept of truth. Instead, he says, we know him who is true, him who is real. Christian certainty isn't about abstract reason or inspired enlightenment. Christian certainty is about God, the real God, him who is true, the one and only true God. To be in the truth then isn't just about being right. It's about sharing in the true reality that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. The divinity of Jesus has been a major point of John's letter. 
To lose the conviction that Jesus is God is to miss, miss out not only on Jesus, but also on God himself. And then we have this rather interesting last verse, verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Instead of ending his letter with his usual greeting or blessing, John adds this one more piece of advice. It kind of feels like we're sitting in the locker room with a team that's been listening to the coach talk to them, giving them advice, reminding them of the, what the other team is doing. And it's time to run back out on the field. The team gets up, starting to go out the door, and the coach yells one last thing, and don't forget to keep yourselves from idols. It's just kind of out there as one last, one last piece of advice. Now there is something in this verse that leads scholars to wonder if maybe it's the first sentence of another section that might have got lost somehow. And I'm going to see if you've been paying attention. We're finishing up the book of 1 John. So this will be your final exam for the series. And it'll be a group exam. If one person gets it right, you all get it right, okay? So a little pressure is off. But my question to you is, what is there about this sentence that makes it look like it's the start of a new thought, a new section perhaps? Do, do, do. Dear children, very good. A plus, the whole, the whole class um, um, fa- uh, passes the test. Yeah, he says, dear children. Remember, every time he has a new thought, he seems to start that thought with dear friends or dear children and goes into quite a bit of, of explanation. We don't have a lot of explanation here. We just have the one, the one verse. So it's very possible that, that there's something that's missing. We don't know. We don't know what's going on here. Maybe this is just, maybe he write the le- wrote the letter, and you know how sometimes you'll get done, you sign it, and oh, P.S., you know, whatever. Maybe this is a P.S. before they had P.S.'s. We don't, we don't know. He hasn't really talked about idols explicitly anywhere else in the letter, but maybe, maybe it came to mind at the last minute, or maybe it's what he's kind of had in mind all along. When he says keep, when he talks about the word keep here, keep yourselves from idols, that Greek word actually means guard, guard yourself. And that's why you'll hear me sometimes when I give the blessing, I'll, instead of saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you, I want you to understand what he's saying. May the Lord bless you and guard you. So while John's been telling us in the previous verses that John keeps us or guards us, we got to remember to do our part, to be diligent and alert when it comes to taking care of ourselves. The early Christian church was living in the Roman Empire where they were constantly surrounded by pagan idols and temples. If this is what John has in mind, then maybe he's urging us to watch out for anything that can become a substitute for God, including the things he's talked about through the whole letter. False teachers, false religion, religious scams. I'm going to wrap it up here, but I'm going to invite the praise band to come up and and get set up because we're going to sing again in just, just a minute. But I want to wrap up with this thought. Believers today are also suffering from shattered confidence, just like in John's day. Otherwise, we wouldn't have so many false teachers on TV and on YouTube and so forth pulling our brothers and sisters away from the truth. We live in an era called postmodernism where all authority is challenged. People make absolute statements that nothing is absolute, right? 
The next time somebody tells you that there is no absolute truth, help them to recognize just how absolute their statement was and why you, therefore, just can't believe them. Think about it. The church has to deal with the problem of faith and uncertainty. And today's message from John is just bursting with confidence. He instills in us the fact that faith should not lack assurance. Faith is not saying, oh please, oh please, I want this to be true, I hope it's true. No, faith is saying, I know that it's true. And so we're going to sing that chorus again from one of the praise songs that we sang earlier, when we sang, we believe. We know that we are children of God. We know Jesus is the Son of God. We know our Heavenly Father is the true God, and we know that God is eternal life. That's what we know. That's what we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection and he's coming back again we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the, your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in it. Father, thank you for John's letter because he's talking to us today too. Help us to remember to stay strong. Help us to remember to pray for each other. Help us to remember that as long as we are in Christ and Christ is in you, we have absolutely nothing to worry about. Father, help to strengthen our resolve. Help us to just through the week remember what we heard this morning and all through this past several weeks that we've been looking at this letter from John. We just ask for your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I will ask you to stand. We are still going to sing our closing hymn. I didn't forget about you, Gloria. <laughs> let's, uh, let's stand and sing... Our final hymn. Now, before we get started, I understand some of, it sounds like there's a few people that didn't recognize this. I think it's a very familiar tune anyway, so I'm going to ask Gloria, would you play through it one time, let everybody hear it, but you might need to, um, might need to use your, your, uh, your hymnals, I don't know, but please pray, play through it one time.
as you leave here this morning, may, you leave, may the Lord bless you and guard you, and may you leave with, with the confidence of what we know and what we believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.